Okay, for our first message this morning, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Mark McGarvey. It is entitled Courage, Prayer, Faith, Bob Fu. Good afternoon, everyone. This is true. Hold on. Bear with me here a second. Is it on now? Okay. Okie doke. Well, I'll tell you, the last couple of days reminds you of, uh, of Britain, the amount of rain we've been getting, <laughs> right? Unbelievable out there. Don't like driving it, though. I will say that. Well, today my message is the second part in a three-part series um, I'm giving with this title, Courage, Prayer, Faith. Uh, the first one I gave about uh, five weeks ago was about Desmond Doss, the World War II hero, <coughs> made famous by the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Um, like I said, on that occasion, I wanted to focus on stories of uh, courage, faith, and prayer from the last 100 years. And this story of Bob Fu has occurred recently. So who is Bob Fu? Simply put, he is a Chinese Christian. Now, is that an oxymoron? <laughs> Not exactly. Um, I guess uh, there's a 2010 Pew Research study estimated there were 67 million Christians in China. Um, and then a more recent study from 2016 last year from a BBC Asia estimated there are about 100 million Chinese Christians now. Not bad numbers for a communist country of 1.3 billion. So Bob Fu was the first name, Bob, he, he uh, attained when he emigrated over here to America. He's actually born, I don't know if I'll pronounce this right, but I'll try, Fu Ziku. And he was born in the, uh, let's see, he was born in the Shandong province in 1968 and uh, studied English literature at Laocheng University in the 1980s. So, His story really is incredible. Um, anybody who comes from a communist country and, and converts to Christianity, it always is an incredible story. Um, but this one grabbed my attention. Uh, I think I first heard about him about three or four years ago. And, you know, you want to talk about persecution of Christians. Now, we all know Middle East right now is a real dangerous place for any Christian, especially in um, Iran, Syria. Uh, with ISIS running about, um, but also for for decades, a century, well, a couple of centuries, I guess, um, Christians in the likes of China have had a real, real difficult time, persecuted like we wouldn't believe or understand. But um, <clears throat> he did uh, publish or uh, write a book which was published in 2013, and that's what I'm, I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from it. Uh, called God's Double Agent by Bob Fu. 
Um, and it really is an unbelievable read what he went through, his upbringing uh, in China, and uh, everything that led to his uh, conversion. I want to read here a little section here uh, at the start of the book to, to give you an idea of his upbringing. Um, this is from the book here. Um, let's see here. So, before Bob was born in 1968, his mom um, was married to uh, a guy in China. They had, I believe they had two children at this point in the late 1950s. And uh, one night, the father, her husband, came to her and said, you and the children need to leave. And Bob writes in his book that his mother didn't make too much fuss about it. I mean, she said, where will I go? Uh, but she didn't wait for the answer. She knew. My mother shuffled around the house and picked up a few things. She could only take what she could carry, and she had to carry the younger child, just a baby, too. That's how my mo mother's marriage ended, which is certainly not the way many marriages do in the West. There were no affairs, no dramatic confrontations. Rather, the government led by Mao Zedong, which we've all heard of before his name, had laid its heavy hand on the villagers and strangled the life out of their marriages. In 1958, Mao performed a, a gigantic cultural and social experiment called the Great Leap Forward, so named because it was the Great Leap into Communism. This meant my mother's husband and all of the other villagers had to give up their private property to live communally. Without personal land, they couldn't farm their own food and had no control of their own food supply. Mao, who introduced his new program by promising this nation it is possible to accomplish any task whatsoever, assured everyone he could produce more food through communist techniques. The government built large communal kitchens for the villagers where they were gathered to eat every meal. Wonderful weather in the first growing season created much sustenance for the villagers. However, in the following years, droughts and floods caused the community grain supplies to run dangerously low. That's when my mother's husband felt he had no choice. Just go, he told her, as she stood there with the kids. I cannot feed you anymore. And so his mom, before he was born, like I said, and two young children, left that community, left that village, and started heading to uh, the next village over, I believe, which was a fair walk. And what she would do for the next year or two was walk around, go from village to village, and ask for anybody to help with food. I mean, she was obviously no job. She had two small children, which, which helped in the situation that they would give her uh, rice or whatever to sustain her, and she'd take care of the kids first. But for a couple of years there, it was real tough. Um, and then they came to one village, um, dozens of miles from where she origi originally left, and she had some friends in that village, and she uh, eventually met the house she knocked on at this one particular occasion. That man would then become her husband, um, and the father of, uh, of Bob Fu. So you see, you had this <coughs> Bob Fu's early life growing up in China was tough. He has said many times he grew up in poverty because his father became disabled um, and was unable to work, and his mom worked some, but they were never able to break 
above the, uh, the poverty line. And so he had dreams of someday becoming wealthy <coughs> and taking care of his family properly. There are two quotes he uses at the start of his book. Um, the first one is from uh, uh, Zhang King, who was the fourth husband of Chairman Mao. Quote, Christianity in China has been confined to the history section of the museum. It is dead and buried. And that was sometime in the 1970s, I believe she said that. Uh, Chairman Mao died in 1976. Uh, he was, I think, about 82 at the time. But he'd ruled China with an iron hand for 50-odd years. Um, the second quote on uh, this introductory page here is from uh, Benjamin Franklin. You may have heard this quote before. Quote, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. I like the second one more than the first. It is very, very hard for uh, Christianity to survive and flourish in communist countries. You know, essentially, communists, uh, people from in communist countries are atheists. Um, you see, in the likes of China, the old Soviet Union, uh, Cuba, the idea they, they impress on the people, that what they want the people to believe is there is no God, government is your God, the state is your God. We will take care of you, we'll take care of your needs. There's no such thing as these supernatural beliefs and any, anything other than that. Everything revolves around the government and the state. They control your life. You don't need anything else. So my first scripture I'm going to turn to is John chapter 14 and verse 18. Just one verse to uh, get into the theory of what I'm talking about here today. John chapter 14 and verse 18. You know, Christ here is talking to his disciples. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. God will not leave us fatherless. He will come to us. He hears us, and he freely gives his Holy Spirit. This is what happened with Bob Fu. It was 1989, and he was studying English literature at Lao Ching University just a few months before what I'm about to read in his book, uh, from his book, he had organized a group of students from his university to participate in the Tiananmen Square protests. And that, you know, grabbed the world's attention, what happened there. But a few months later, after that, he was having a real hard time because uh, at the, at the uh, college he was at, his friends, there'd been a lot of in fine between him and his friends. He was a, uh, like a, what do they call it, a class auditor or, or a <clears throat> one of the top guys in the class. Uh, the teachers, teachers trusted him to look out for his uh, fellow students. But um, there was, he was going through a hard time at this point in his life. And um, I'm going to read from the book here again on what, on what happened here. So this is 1989. He would have been about uh, 20, 21 at the time. Um, he was sitting in the back of his classroom, and uh, one of his friends who, who drew the English name Jack finally 
turned around and spoke to me and said, here, he whispered, this might help you. He laid a booklet on my desk. It was a bio biography of a Chinese intellectual. I looked at the cover and then flipped it over. Why would this help? I said to him. I don't know, Jack said, a little exasperated. Lao Wu gave it to me. Thank you, I said, touched by his compassion, even though I didn't see the use of it. He said, maybe it will help you being, stop being so weepy. Reluctantly, I flipped through the pages of the booklet, which was the story of a Confucian scholar from the western Zhang village near Linfen, Shaanxi province. He was known far and wide for his wisdom, but when he was alone, he was sad and very depressed. I can, I can identify with that, I thought as I turned the page. Though I wasn't really in the mood to read a new book, I didn't have anything to do as I sat there in silence waiting for my papers to be graded. Plus, I found it interesting that Jack would think this might be a solution for me. I readjusted myself in my chair and began reading about this tortured scholar. His name was Zi Zixi, and Confucianism and the Chinese classics wouldn't calm his troubled soul. When he was 30, the sorrow took its toll and his health deteriorated. At one point, his wife and friends dressed him in his finest clothes, laid him on his bed, and waited for him to die. He didn't much to his own chagrin. One day, his friends suggested opium might brighten his mood. The jug provided an immediate yet short-lived relief. This is a terribly sad story, I said, hitting Jack in the back with the pamphlet. Why did you give this to me? Do you want to make me cry even more? Lao Wu said it was inspirational, he said. I reopened the book and started reading again. By the time Xi realized opium wasn't going to solve his problems, he was already addicted. His health began to deteriorate at an even faster rate. In 1877, when his province was hit by a famine, two British missionaries from Hudson Taylor's group went to a nearby city to offer assistance. Thousands died from starvation, suicide and disease, so the two missionaries brought food, money, and a new religion. When the famine finally ended, the missionaries used a very clever way to get the community thinking about this new faith. They conducted an essay contest in their newspaper, asking people to answer the question, what's the most effective way to get rid of an addiction to opium? This got Xi's attention. He knew a thing or two about opium, and he desperately needed money to buy more of it. He decided to enter the contest four times under four different names. He won three out of the four prizes. <laughs> right? So, reluctantly, he and his brother-in-law went to one of the missionaries' houses in Pingyang to collect his money from a Mr. Hill. He'd heard of all sorts of rumors about the missionaries and their new religion. As daylight banished darkness, so did Mr. Hill's present dissipate all the idle rumors I had heard, Xi wrote. All sense of fear was gone. My mind was at rest. I beheld his kindly eye and remembered the words of Mencius, another former um, philosopher. If a man's heart is not right, his eye will certainly bespeak of it. That face told me I was in the presence of a true good man. I stopped reading the book for a moment, Bob says, and rubbed my hands over my face. When I was a child, I'd heard of people my father described as being of the Jesus religion. In fact, there was an old abandoned church 
where they'd met in the nearby village about two miles from my home. I remember walking by it for the first time and saying, oh, what is this? Though it was beautiful and it was deserted, one of the walls had fallen in. My friends, friends made fun of it, but I never went in. It seemed dangerous and very mysterious. Some foreigners used to be there, they told me. Of course, anything related to foreigners was infinitely fascinating. As the Chinese term for foreigners, Yang Gi Ji literally means foreign devil. The first Christian church I ever saw was automatically related to devils because it was related to Americans. We went near it and looked at it with as much curiosity as if it had been a spacecraft from another planet. I smiled as I thought of that old building, Bob wrote, perhaps the only smile I hadn't faked in months. I put the book down and stretched as I looked at the backs of my classmates. They were working diligently while I was reading about an opium addict. This is how far I've fallen, I thought, he said. Nevertheless, I turned the page and kept reading. Xi took his prize money and even began working for the missionaries, translating the New Testament into Chinese to use as religious tracts. When he got to the story of the crucifixion, he fell on his knees and wept. He felt he'd finally found the answer he'd been searching for his entire life, this uh, philosopher Xi Zhengzi. He was, it wasn't found in Confucianism or the Chinese classics. Mysteriously, it was found in the story of a man named Jesus, who had been punished and killed by the government for something he didn't do. A chill came over me. I looked up from the book, he said. Bob said, I felt like it was written specifically for me, like it was whispering deep truths to me with each new page. There were so many beautiful sentences in it, phrases I'd never heard used together, and ideas I'd never contemplated. I reached down to my backpack, he wrote, and grabbed a notebook I used to use for my English studies. I opened it, drew a dark line out of my old English notes, and wrote notes from the Zhi Zixi book. And I began to copy some of the beautiful sentences I'd been reading. So that was Bob Fu's introduction to Christianity. Amazing. You know, he'd, like he said, they'd heard of these Christian people. This, this Jesus religion, but he didn't really know anything about it. And his friend had handed him this book, and you know, his life changed forever. He couldn't put the book down, he just read it at start to finish in no time at all. And uh, by the end of it, he had a ton of questions. And the, the student who had given him the book uh, had been given it to by one of the uh, professors there. And he was a, a Christian also. So, you know, it's amazing how God works. Just somebody giving someone a book. And in this case, it changed a man's life forever. It's our story too. In the sense, when we were being called, going under the waters of baptism and beyond, our life changed forever. we would never be the same. What we were, the person we were before, that person is gone. 
You are new in you, and Christ is living in you. I turn to Second Corinthians here. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses uh, sixteen and seventeen. Second Corinthians chapter five, and verses sixteen and seventeen. Okay, verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are a new person, a new creation. Paul puts it perfectly. We are a new creation. And in my uh, New King James uh, Study Bible, about these couple of verses here, uh, specifically, all things have become new. Quote, A believer's life should change because he or she has been transformed into the likeness of Christ. Instead of living for oneself, a believer lives for Christ. Instead of evaluating others with the values of the world, a believer looks at this world through the eyes of faith. End quote. After his conversion to become a Christian, Bob Fu had to be careful. His girlfriend at the time, who would later, in a year or two, become his wife, also converted after reading the same book. He was so excited about the book and what he'd been reading, he just gave it to her the next day, I think, after he'd finished. And, and she took it away, and sure enough, she uh, went the same way. I think I'll have to try and find that book if it's been translated into English and read it myself. So you, you know, it sounds really, in, really interesting. Um, so after completing his studies, um, Bob Fu taught English at the Central Party School in Beijing while his wife, Boshan Kai, studied at the Renmin University of China. The couple evangelized widely, starting a campus church and secret Bible school in Fangzhang District, Beijing. On May 9th, 1996, the couple was detained for running a Christian training center in Fangzhang District, Beijing, and for illegal evangelizing. On July 8th, 1996, they left detention in good health, having been reportedly treated well, but warned not to engage with foreigners. Authorities said that Fu could keep his job and stay in the dormitory at the Communist Party school and were not to have to pay any fines. So this is why he titled his book, God's Double Agent. What he was doing was he was teaching at this school by day and by night he was teaching Christianity. And by keeping the down low, he was able to avoid the authorities I mean, as much as he could. Um, because, you know, he wanted to spread the gospel to everyone, as much as many people as he could. Um, but you have to also think about the long-term goal and what's, what you're facing on a daily basis there in, in, in China. But this, you know, this is what bugs me about 
you know, the progressives and the far left here in campuses across America. They love communism, you know, and would never, I would like America to become a communist country. How about the 80 million people who died in the 20th century, you know, from communist societies and fascistic governments? Or the between 15 to 40 million Chinese people who died under Mao Zedong's reign? 15 to 40 million. And if that higher number is true, uh, he will go down in history as the, the leader who has killed the most people under one leader ever. 40 million, if that is true, because uh, Joseph Stalin, I think, killed about 20 million. You know? um, and in China, it was starvation and murder. It was mostly through starvation. People couldn't, couldn't eat. And anybody who did raise a while up against the government were executed. I mean, it was just it was brutal for 50-odd years there in China. Absolutely brutal. You know, how would that work here? I mean, it's just not. Anti-God, anti-family, anti-American. It just, it just couldn't work here. One day, every king, every president or prime minister, every tyrant who's ever lived will stand before the Lord Almighty and be asked to account for themselves and what they did. No man can stand against God. Don't even try. So, getting back to the story here of Bob Fu. That same year, 1996, Bob Fu's wife, Heidi, which was her adopted name, became pregnant. At the time, the one-child policy was still in effect in China. But I, didn't, I bet you didn't know about this next part. You had to have permission to get pregnant. I didn't know about this part until I, I watched the interview about uh, with Bob. You had to get permission from the government to get pregnant. How ridiculous is that? How unbelievable is that? Total control. Apparently, you were given a, a yellow card when you were given the, the green light by the government to you go ahead and have the one child now. Just a, a totally different world that we sometimes can't, can't fathom, you know. Over the next year, Bob Fu and his family first went to Hong Kong and talk about going right to the extremes here. They went to Hong Kong and, and, and uh, Matt will remember this, 1997, the British lease in Hong Kong expired after they, they British controlled it for 100 years. He got there in Hong Kong and went through the system to then get moved to America three days before Chinese control took back Hong Kong. Because what had happened, he'd been in touch with some American uh, pastors and Christians, and uh, it was the, it was early 1997, the National Association of Evangelicals successfully lobbied the Clinton White House to get Bob Fu and his family political asylum in the USA. So uh, it, it was real tight there. Before the Chinese came back into Hong Kong, he managed to escape to America. So in 2002, Bob Fu founded the China Aid Association. As he said in an interview, quote, he said he couldn't sleep thinking about Chinese Christian brothers and sisters being persecuted and incarcerated in 
China. His, organi his organization aims to spiritually and legally equip Chinese people to defend their faith and freedom with legal reforms, ultimately softening the soil for the gospel in China. And he's been running this organization now for 15 years. Now, there's another interesting little story he, he gave in this interview I saw him uh, doing. Um, there was a, a Chinese lady who had converted to Christianity, was, lit, was staying at their house over here in the States now. And this one particular time, it must have been around Christmas because they, they had their Christmas lights and they were going to set them up. And the lady went over to the Christmas lights and did something with them because he, he was getting ready to have them. And she, I guess, got them all opened out and disentangled and put them back together again or something like that. Because apparently, when she was, she was incarcerated in a Chinese prison for six years, and that was her job, making Christmas lights. And she knew all the ins and outs of how to do that. But she was six years in a prison camp for being a Christian. So people like Bob Fu are a tremendous example to all of us of what a Christian can achieve in this world against all the odds. People like Bob Fu, Desmond Doss, and others have courage and abundance. They believe in and use the power of prayer and have faith that could move a mountain. I want to read the last couple of sentences here from this book, towards the end of this book. <clears throat> Quote, without his permission, without God's permission, no one can reduce one second of our, of our life, nor can we add a single hour to our lives by worrying. It frees us to work tirelessly and courageously for the cause of Christ without fearing what will become of us. I want to conclude here with Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> Verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ is indeed our hope and Savior. No matter what situation we're in, no matter where we are on the planet, no matter our position in life in this world, Jesus hears our voice. He comes to us. He protects us. And he will never leave us or forsake us, as you know. <clears throat>